Welcome to the Payments Experts Podcast, a podcast of global legal law firm. ISOs, fintech, payfax, agents, merchants, processors, acquiring banks, and card brands. If these terms mean something to you, this podcast is for you. If these terms aren't so familiar, this podcast is even more for you. We hope you enjoy this episode of PEP, the Payments Experts Podcast. Welcome to this episode of Payment Experts Podcast. Today we've got a very special guest, a senior associate at Global Legal Law Firm, Jarvis Lagman. Um, Jarvis, tell us a little bit about what you do with this firm. So I am specializing in transactional law for the firm. Um, I review contracts. I do mergers and acquisitions transactions. Um, I do a little bit of securities law, anything that has to do with setting up a commercial relationship between merchants and processors and uh, different um, different entities operating the electronic payment space. Excellent. So um, I'm pretty flexible. We're pretty flexible in terms of the kinds of deals we do because we know that you know every every business and every deal is unique and we pr- try to provide really in-depth analysis to really f- fit our transactional documents to meet the specific needs of each business and each client that we service. So Absolutely. You know, we put a lot of thought and a lot of pride into what we do no here and um, and and a, and a lot of these transactions really come from our expertise in understanding the nature of these relationships because this industry is really specific and really unique. Uh, but it's also very ubiquitous because everybody runs a credit card or debit card and every every business, you know, accepts payments from customers. And and believe it or not, all of those transactions are governed by a really complex set of rules that we happen to be very expert in. And that's what we're going to talk about today, right? We're going to talk about the card brand rules, as they're often referred to uh, in this firm. Why don't you start off, Jarvis, if you don't mind telling us, and especially, you know, thinking about... Your average listener, maybe they're a shop owner, they own a, you know, markets on the street corner or all the way up to high level, you know, multi-chain franchises where they're using processing. What are the card brand rules and why do they matter? So essentially the card brand rules or the the card brands are Visa, MasterCard, um, Discover, American Express, um, and some others, and, and now we're actually getting into a really exciting space with some digital payments. So you have Stripe and, and Venmo and, and, and things like that. But for you know, for the most part, the, the card brand rules are those rules set forth by Visa, MasterCard, and, and the large companies that really govern the issuance of debit and credit cards and how those transactions are processed and ultimately how those funds are transmitted to a merchant who receives payment in exchange for accepting those cards, right? So um, when you actually think about the card brand rules, a lot of them are governed by contracts between Visa MasterCard and member and sponsor banks who then also enter into either agreements with the customer who is essentially the card holder and, and, and banks who issue cards are known as issuers in this industry, and they have separate agreements with specific customers. But then they're also acquiring banks who are on the business side where they enter into agreements with specific merchants. But all of these agreements and all of these relationships are governed by these card brand rules. So as much as uh, an acquiring bank or an issuing bank 
has certain terms in their contracts with specific merchants or specific customers, all of those contracts must comply with the payment with the rules uh, established by Visa Mastercard. Um, and in and, and even to the extent where Visa Mastercard rules requires compliance with their rules in order to uh, either issue a Visa Mastercard uh, card or uh, or to accept car accept those branded cards as in lieu of payment mm-hmm. in lieu of cash payment. Now I'm sure we could spend an entire episode. We won't, but we could spend an entire episode talking about the history of why Visa and Mastercard became the uh, you know almost monopolies that they are to this day. We won't get into that now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you talk, you know, acquiring banks cardholders, you know, the um, the processors, you got the everywhere from the merchant all the way up through the ISO, through the processor, the banks, et cetera, all these relationships, the contracts. Why does it matter? Well, well, it matters because ultimately if you're paying money for a good and service or you're receiving money in exchange for good and service, there are a lot of mechanics for either A, how that money actually hits your account and B, what happens when things go wrong? So a lot of what we do as a law firm is, you know, handling problems in terms of when things don't go according to plan, right? So Which happens more than you might think, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, uh, especially being a lawyer, right? You know, so, so much of our job is to be able to think of problems before the problems arise. You know, so a lot of it's predictive. Um, and, and especially, you know, with the car brand rules, they're very complex and they also, uh, they, they change every year. And especially now with new emergent technologies, um, for example, cryptocurrency, you know, these rules actually need to be flexible and be modified to adapt to a changing paradigm, right? So um, as as a law firm specializing in this space, it's 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 not just about under memorizing the rules. It's, it's understanding what function those rules play in how we actually organize our commercial transactions. Because especially as the world gets more complex, I'll, I'll give you an example. So, uh, you know, in a typical transaction, uh, a customer will go to a business and they're there, you know, and, and the, the, the operative term here is this is a card present transaction, right? So you go to a business, they have a, they have a point of sale terminal you show you present your card. They accept the card. They swipe it. You get your you know your cheeseburger or whatever you're buying at the business. And then there's a, there's a process governed by the rules and governed by all these relationships by which the money leaves the cardholder's account, gets funneled through the payment networks and the card brands and the processors and the ISOs, mm-hmm. and eventually hits the account of the merchant. Right. So a the 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 card rules really define how that process actually works. But now we're actually heading into an environment where if you look at something like e-commerce, where what do you do when you have card not present transactions where, you know, where people are actually ordering goods and services, but you don't have the same interaction in order to verify identity, right? So now the card brands had to evolve their rules to account for electronic commerce transactions and things like that. So uh, so, so a lot of even keeping apprised with the rules and understanding what the rules are is also being able to predict where the rules are going to go as technology evolves and develops. 
And, and, and that's a lot of what we do here. We are, we advise clients who are operating at the cutting edge of these technologies and really helping them to navigate not only the regulatory landscape, because if you're familiar with, um, for instance, a cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. now the SEC is stepping in, but there are also there have also been changes to um, regulations governing uh, people who are considered "quote unquote" money transmitters mm-hmm. and, and and obligations to report suspicious activity, file SARS reports. Or, um, or report transactions over the $10,000 threshold. Um, so be able to issue spot a lot of these potential uh, problems that could come up in a transaction or, or even just organizing your business, especially as money becomes less fiat and less what you think it is and more something that evolves organically alongside with our emerging technological capability. Okay. Yeah. So uh- – Jarvis, I really appreciate you. Know, it's, it, it, you can see you've got a lot of information on these topics, which is why we have you on this podcast right now. It's um, awesome information. I want to kind of boil it down a little bit on a certain level because you've talked on a high level um, in terms of how, like you said, even you know, multinational companies, large companies that are dealing with this on a pretty high level, even down to the person who's just taken, you know, you mentioned buying a hamburger, buying your Gatorade at the local market. It affects them as well. How can global legal law firm assist a small business owner or let's just maybe say a medium business size owner who's dealing with some of these issues? Well, if you actually think about uh, how a medium to small size business operates, a, a lot of it, they're operating on trust, right? So you enter, you know, if you're a small business and, you know, you acquire a point of sale terminal, uh you know, it, it obviously you enter into a contract usually with either some something known as independent sales organization. Um, they may lease the equipment in conjunction with giving you access to the network. So, so much of what we could do for those those kinds of enterprises, we understand what the standard terms are for what those contracts are. We can point out to you where you're getting ripped off or where you're getting a good deal. Because a lot of these contracts are all predicated on you know, no one reads the terms and conditions. No one actually understands what's standard in this industry. So we're able to really you know, look at an agreement pretty quickly and really boil down whether or not this agreement was done in good faith or whether or not this agreement was engineered to, you know, to provide terms that are outside of the norm and that are essentially designed to rip you off. Very interesting, um, and not surprisingly, today, to this very day that we're recording this podcast, I had a call from a potential client who was with their processor since 2018. Everything seemed fine and dandy. They were processing normally. Everything seemed fine. And right around uh, 2020, 2021, what this potential client was describing is the rates going up as much as 400% to as much as what she was able to document, over a 1,000% increase in rates, which, of course, she was a little irate about, I would argue rightly so. Can you talk about that just on face value? Does it seem like there's some foul play there? What? How would you assess that as an attorney? What's actually really interesting is uh, there's something known as the Durbin Amendment that uh, recently passed that actually governs interchange fees. So, So what's actually... Alarming about this specific industry is that 
federal regulation has really focused on bigger players in this market, Visa, MasterCard specifically, and how they charge rates. And, you know, you, you mentioned monopoly power. I, I don't necessarily want to use that legally operative term, but they obviously have a lot of market share and a lot of power in the industry and regulation has focused to has focused upon their practices. However, they're not the only ones operating in this industry. So if you actually think about some of the problems that, you know, that that potential client or that client had, a lot of that is actually not governed by federal law. A lot, you know, I'll give you specifically um, under the uh, Electronic Funds Transfer Act, network fees are not considered interchange fees that are governed by the act. Mm-hmm. So the act actually creates limitations in, in connection with debit card transactions on the amount of interchange fees that a major card brand can charge in exchange for you know using a debit card in in this kind of transaction. However, network fees are specifically exempt from the calcul- from the limitations imposed by that act. Mm. Right. So to the so to the extent that the the rate setting is exorbitant and, and somewhat unconscionable. I mean, there there are different ways to attack that problem. So I would, you know, obviously as a lawyer, you you need a full you know do full diligence on the facts and circumstances governing See the how, how yeah. exactly or, or even the the course of practice and what the consumer expectations were and things like that. Um, but surprisingly, a lot of these things are governed by contract. So it's it's the the focus is less on regulation and more on what was agreed to by all of the parties. And and that's something that we could really step in here as a law firm to help everyone out on. Because, you know, like I said, because these things are governed by contracts, you know, being able to foresee these problems before you enter into a contract and not afterwards after you get charged the fees, it's, you know, it, it behooves you to do that because it really is the best way to protect yourself in case there is price gouging. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that insight. Jarvis, Let's talk now, uh, if you don't mind, a little bit about the processors themselves. At Global Legal Law Firm, we represent a number of processors, both large and small. How are these card brand rules affecting them? What, what, what should the processors be concerned about or what are they mindful of or how can Global help inform their uh, business practice? Well, processors are are an interesting situation you know, more so than, for instance, like sales organizations, because they handle money, right? So if you are a processor and you're handling money, you need to abide by certain security standards known as PCI, uh, where you need to be careful with how uh, cardholder data, merchant data, bank data uh, gets handled. Um, and ultimately, as a processor, you're responsible for you know, keeping track of authorizations received from a merchant and making sure that everything runs according to plan. Uh, a lot, a lot of times, you know, you know, on both sides, there could be instances of fraud, right? So something known as a chargeback, where um, there's an authorization for the sale of a good or service, then ultimately the card holder disputes it, and then there's a process through which the dispute gets handled. And then depending on the contracts, the the losses associated with that dispute are either passed through to the merchant, held by the processor, held by the independent sales organization. So a lot of actually how losses are managed really is also governed by these contracts. 
Uh, but you know, but ultimately, as a processor, a lot of what you're worried about is you know making sure that all of the information that you are processing is secure. Um, because if you actually think about uh, data hacking and and all the different uh, ways that people are trying to game the system to you know to make you know to to make a profit uh, fraudulently. Uh, you know, processors, because they are the custodians of such valuable information, mm-hmm. they have a higher duty to make sure that all of their practices are up to date and, you know, essentially best practices. Trying to protect the little guy. <laughs> well, you know, well, it's not just protecting the little guy. It's also just understanding that financial information in a world where data is king is the most important information, mm. right? Because ultimately... Uh, you know, and, and we we're talking about card not present transactions right. and e-commerce transactions because everything now is done at such a distance. The whole system is actually predicated on trust and processors are actually at the center of that nexus of trust mm-hmm. because they're the ones who are, who are essentially receiving all the in, all this financial information and then disseminating it to the banks. Right. So. You know, if if there is a fraudulent processor or there is a problem with security standards, you know, we could have a whole breakdown of this system because this whole system is actually predicated on everybody keeping everyone's information secure, but also transmitting large quantities of data in a reliable way. And if there's any breach of consumer trust in a the accuracy of the data. B, the security of the data, and C, the the way that the data is managed is managed in a way that conforms with our expectations for, um, you know, for speed and, and things like that. Uh, all of these things are all, and going back to why these rules are important, like a lot of the things that we take for granted are because the rules are operating in a way that we don't, we don't, we take for granted. Because as soon as the rules break down, right, mm-hmm. you go to, you know, let's say you're a card holder, you go to the store, you swipe your card, all of a sudden it doesn't work, and you're wondering why, right. right? It's like, you know, sometimes there's a problem with the processor or there's a problem with the network. And, you know, these these are the kinds of things you take for granted until something bad happens. And when something bad happens, you, you know, you, you could be essentially left in a lurch. Sure. So. If I can, if you allow me to summarize a little bit about what we've talked about so far, if I'm hearing you correctly, global legal law firm, whether your business is large or small or medium sized, there is a function, a very important function of a payments attorney to come in there. Really, in a sense, what I'm hearing you say is look under the hood, if you will, kind of see the contracts that they're operating with, see what agreements they're in, what their business practice is like their mode of operation, et cetera, and providing advisement, some guidance to maneuver those uh, card brand rules, et cetera. Is that accurate? Oh, yeah. And a lot and a lot of what we do, like I said, a lot of what we do is founded on having a base of very experienced and smart attorneys, right? Uh, and, and so much of this industry is actually predicated on you know, people taking for granted these rules. So the function that as a law firm that we play is that our clients can trust us. We understand the industry and we can put businesses in the most advantageous position to be able to evaluate their relationships 
and make an educated decision as to whether or not they want to continue those relationships. Because, because I, I think at the end of the day, it, 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 the one thing that maybe anybody listening to this podcast could take out of this is uh, you have a lot more power over the relationships in your business than you think you have. Hmm. Right. So to the extent that someone gives you an agreement, you know, this is even more basic. Someone gives you an agreement, even if it's a PDF, you know, and you feel like you don't have leverage to change any of the terms in that agreement. You do. You do. Right. So, you know, even if ultimately those changes don't get accepted through a negotiation process, if there's ever a dispute or a claim, you know, and the fact that you even lodged a suggestion as to why a specific term and agreement should be changed, you know, in a, in a litigation proceeding, that's something that could be used as evidence in support of why you would claim that either an agreement is unfair or something like that. Right. So, so like I said, a lot of, I think what we do is to actually empower our clients, right. Big and small, because, because a lot of our understanding of how this process works and how the legal system works. It really is about, you know, understanding what your rights are Mm -hmm. and using those rights to empower yourself in an environment where maybe other parties have more leverage over you because they're either bigger or, or they provide some kind of service that, you know, that it's scarce. Right. So, you know, so, but, but you do definitely do have a lot more power than you probably think you do. I, Get this sense, uh, Jarvis. I'm hearing you say, at least what I, the way I was taking this is peace of mind, right? You can you can offer some peace of mind to global clients, saying, "Hey, this has been reviewed by a expert payment attorney who understand this this industry inside and out, who reads every page, reads every word." Like you said, is able to empower that client with what they're able to maybe negotiate, maybe you know get some protection, some insulation in some certain areas, and then tell them otherwise where, hey, these, you know, you might not like this part of it, but it's pretty industry standard. And, you know, you're going to get this anywhere you go. So at least that client knows, hey, I'm not being completely ripped off here. You know, this is industry standard. And my attorney has provided me some benefits that I would not have gotten otherwise. Exactly. And because, you know, going back to what you're saying about peace of mind, I think about as much as lawyers get a certain reputation, uh, we do care about our clients. And, you know, and I've had many sleepless nights thinking about how to structure, you know, structure deals, you know, for the benefit of my clients or, or getting my clients, you know, achieving their objectives in a way that, uh, you know, at first glance seems difficult, but, you know, you, you kind of you chip away at it and, and you solve the problem and you come up with either a deal structure or, you know, in a litigation standpoint, an argument to kind of win the day. Um, so I, I think, especially because, you know, we're a firm that specializes in this space, I think we're actually very nimble in how, you know, we're not going to give you cookie cutter legal advice, you know, just to kind of get you in the door. We're going to pull out a thought into what we do, and we're going to give you some innovative and cutting edge uh, under you know perspective on on these issues because you know you know we we are a firm that specializes in payments understands understands the industry understands the two thousand and eight and we have and we have relationships with the players mm-hmm. right so if you're not happy with your current arrangement we could probably you know find someone who would really fit your business model absolutely. better absolutely we do it all the time 
Jarvis, it's been wonderful speaking with you today. Um, as we maybe come to the close, are there some closing thoughts or anything that was kind of top of mind uh, for you as you were thinking about this topic and, and approaching this podcast today? Uh, sure. Um, I, I think what's interesting about, uh, like I said earlier, how so much of technology has touched our lives and especially in the payment space uh, where now there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of innovation in terms of, um, you know, and, and a lot of the term of arts like fintech, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, you actually just think about like a lot of the, like a lot of the fintech solutions and we're, technologies. We're cool now. We're <laughs> yeah, cool now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the fintech solutions uh, and, you know, the blockchain stuff that's come out. And, it, it, and I've seen so many, uh, I've met with so many different entrepreneurs and so many different innovators in this space who are really trying to come up with new ways to revolutionize how we actually do payments, how we manage data, how we actually, and how we secure data. Uh, so, so in terms of, you know, not just even the payment rules and, 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 uh, and, and the way that these relationships have traditionally been organized, I think there's also a lot of room for growth and there, and, the the fintech space in this specific area, I think there's a lot of opportunity for you know for you know for our listeners out there who really want to go out there and you know create their own you know payments processing platform and and really kind of you know reimagine how we actually do payments because so much of you know even what's going on now everything's done on a peer to peer basis. So even, you know, we're talking about the card brand rules, but, you know, that that's a centralized structure mm -hmm. that, you know, may evolve because the nature of peer-to-peer -peer technologies have been evolving. Mm -hmm. So uh, so whenever I look at these issues, I always look at them with the frame of mind that as much as these things are uh, have traditionally been organized this way, we also are going to need to be able to evolve how we think about these issues as new technologies and new players yep. come to the market and and you know and innovate and in really kind of try to make either transactions more efficient, you know, customers more secure, or probably or usually a combination of both. Mm -hmm. One thing I love about working for global legal law firm Jarvis is really what you just said. There absolutely is an onus on us to continually be nimble, to learn, to evolve, because this industry, I was talking to the managing partner of the firm, Chris Dryden, the other day, and he was saying that payments is almost becoming tech. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's almost a tech industry completely, which is very cutting edge and forward thinking very along the lines of what you were saying. And I love that constantly learning on the job. And I know that's a big part of what you do, Jarvis. Yeah. Oh, oh no, definitely. Um, and, you know, it, 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 even if you think, you know, I was um, reading about um, a new company that uh, redid how they actually do the underwriting on some of these deals. So, right. So for customers out there, underwriting is essentially assessing the level of risk associated with entering into a deal or issuing a card or, or um, you know, depends on the transaction. Um, you know, so so there's actually even a lot of room for not even the traditional tech aspects of this or, or the actual mechanics of doing the transaction processing, but even how we evaluate risk 
and how we actually manage these accounts. Like, I'll, I'll give you a specific example, right? So, please do. If you if you think about um, credit cards, right? So, credit card decisions or underwriting decisions. How much money should I lend you on a short term basis? Is going to depend on some kind of evaluation of your financial history, your at you know your asset portfolio, um, that kind of thing, right? Uh, but you know, but what you've actually seen is now with tech, you know with the, even like if you think about something like AI, right? It's like oh, like, there may be a situation where, and if you actually think about like the function of actuarials, where you know there could be real time underwriting of your transa- of your of your credit limits based on your payments transaction, wow. like on a daily basis, right? You know, yeah. so if you think about it, it's like, you know, oh, if I see that you're getting more volume and then mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, if I'm an artificially AI and I'm going to take in market data and I'm also going to take in your specialized yeah. um, transaction data as a specific merchant, mm-hmm. I may adjust your credit limit up and down based on, you know, on, an AI's prediction of how well your business is going to do. Well, so, so that could be a yeah. frontier if you actually think about, you know, chat GPT and all the different mm-hmm. things are yeah. coming up and how that could actually influence this industry. Yeah. It's very interesting because right. Like underwriting decisions are made, you know, like, right. Like uh, I did a deal where, you know, they did the underwriting based on four to six months, um, you know, uh, uh, analysis of, you know, of uh, merchants processing activity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? But if you could kind of cut that down and be accurate right. and, and and cut the either A, the cost of underwriting down yeah. and being able to adjust it on the fly using AI capabilities, that's actually something that could be in the future of this industry. It's, very, it's fascinating. I couldn't help my, you know, radars go off a little bit. You, you wonder about issues of privacy and, you know, some of those elements that might come into play there. You know, I know we're talking about commercial transactions primarily, but it is. That's fascinating, Jarvis. Yeah. I think that'll be a podcast episode <laughs> for, for a future episode. Oh, right? yeah. And, and what's actually really interesting about all the stuff now that we kind of kind of brought in something that's a little bit more on my radar is that, you know, there are, you know, I've just been so impressed by how many different people are really working their butts off trying to come up with the next big thing. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and, a lot and, of our clients are exactly right there. And, and, and just in all the different ways that people have been creative in this industry and all the different solutions. Um, and, you know, and even just in even just the way that people have been applying technologies that you wouldn't necessarily think are applicable to this space. But all of a sudden, some, you know, genius entrepreneur out there thinks like, oh, like connects the dots and, and put these puts these ideas together. And then all of a sudden, you know, they have they have a solution that could really threaten them. That could really threaten the major marketplace. Be a game changer, right? Yeah. Um, and going back to Visa, Mastercard, you know, some of the some of the beauty of their specific model, you know, is that you know because they're open networks, you know, they're able to absorb a lot of these mm-hmm. players. You know, mm-hmm. so if you actually compare, like for instance, like Visa, Mastercard versus American Express, American Express has a closed network. So the way to actually you know enter into their association of network providers is a, it has there's a higher threshold mm-hmm. than Visa Mastercard mm-hmm. right so but yeah. having that open network if you if you kind of think about like Google Play Store like you know just even just developers like that right you're 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 actually able to you know absorb a lot of different ideas of how we can actually run this industry Absolutely. and 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 I think that's actually been the story of the last 5 10 
20 years that we've seen this acceleration in not just uh, the, the capability of the industry, but how how it's actually segregated and all the different ideas of how we could actually run it. Jarvis, really, really appreciate you coming in today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Payments Experts Podcast. New episodes, first and third Thursdays. If you're interested in learning more about PEP and how global legal law firm may be able to assist you, please visit us at globallegallawfirm.com. To schedule a free consultation, give us a call at 888-846-8901 or email us at pep at attorneygl.com. And once again, thank you for listening.